the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Jesse Gestand. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gestand. And may I say it? May I just go ahead on and say it? This is a great, great day to be alive and well in the Bay Area. Can I just go ahead on and say it? A great day to be alive and well in the Bay Area. You ought to be happy as well. If you live anywhere within the proximity of this uh, uh, astute um, address here in Fremont, California, where we, KFAX Radio Ministry, has been doing radio ministry for so many years, um, have been able to serve you here in the Bay Area, the sound going out in every direction for dozens and dozens, in fact, hundreds of miles, if you will, with our 50,000-watt radio capacity. We can reach up into Oregon and Washington, and sometimes we can bounce around the world and hither and yon, and we're just so glad to be um, calling your attention to these next two hours. You know who I am, the host of this program on Mondays, um, Jesse Gistan, just excited to be with you. Um, thankful to be with you. Again, it's a great day, great day, great day. And it's a great day for a bunch of reasons. But if we believe in the God of the Bible, we know him to be the creator of the universe. And for that, we are thankful. We do say that this is the day that the Lord has made and we will be glad and rejoice in it. We do say that because of its uniqueness. There is no other day like today. There will be no other day like today, um, as there have been multiple thousands and millions and millions and millions of days since creation, each day unique, each day different. So it is with this day. And God's people ought to be thankful for uh, their creator's providence and mercy for us today. We thank you, O God, for creating heaven and earth and upholding and sustaining it by the word of your power along with us as well. And we're thankful that our tenure is such that we live in the Bay Area here where the weather is absolutely spectacular. Just a spectacular day uh, in the middle of the year. Here we are now in June, happens to be June 11, 2018. And um, we have some of the best weather in the world. And it's a cause for thankfulness, as are all days anywhere. Thankfulness, when you really think about how good God is and, and how um, how we don't deserve what we have. But why is it a, a cause for thankfulness? Because you and I could be living in much more arduous, difficult, trying circumstances or uh, different regions of the world where life is just extremely extremely uh, problematic and troublesome. I know that, and you do too. So um, if we're spiritual, if we're really people of God, if we really are in connection with the true and the living God in obedience to his word, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy, his loving kindness, as has said, continues 
from everlasting to everlasting. And if there's no creature on earth that should call God good continually, daily, audibly, worshipfully, worshipfully, reverently, it would be the redeemed people of God. And I'm so glad to be part of an opportunity to minister to your souls, to your mind, to your heart, to your thoughts um, every Monday. Um, on this program, as well as abroad. So thank you, Lord, for being good to us today. Um, We are walking in the light of the gospel. We are living by grace. We are endeavoring to keep the faith and to uh, get rid of the faith, that is, to share it with all who happen to come our way. I hope that's the case with you as well. You know how we do it, one triple eight. Three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine to uh, chat with me if you want to uh, talk about something that you think is relevant, uh, ex- um, expedient, uh, important, and most of all edifying to the people of God. You get to listen to me while you're driving home or preparing meals or simply resting, or if you're at your computer, you know you can email me if you want to. Um, some of y'all know my email address, GBC, all lowercase, um, GBC, uh, good boy cat, um, Hayward at gmail.com, GBC Hayward at gmail.com. You can uh, call me or email me if you want to. A um, couple, two or three things I do want to get at uh, before um, we really get into phone calls and things of that nature. First of all, we always want newer callers. First-time callers, if you've never called before, I want to hear from you. If you've been listening and you really do enjoy the Monday program, call and give me a holler. Let me know how you enjoy the program or have benefited from the program in the past. And if you have a question, an observation, a comment, um, give me a call, too, 1-888-367-5329. If you know that I am the host and uh, voice of Web Grace Ministries uh, Monday through Friday, at 12 noon, which has been a real blessing for many years now. Uh, and you've been listening to our messages. We've just started a lengthy series on the forgiveness of sins, the forgiveness of sins. If you've been listening and you have heard the um, the, the, the in-depth um, analysis and broad, um, uh, if you will, um, uh, analysis of the concept of forgiveness that we are presenting to our audience and you've learned something about it or you have a question about it, give me a call. Very important topic, subject that we are um, engaging our hearts in at grace, the forgiveness of sins, God's forgiveness of sins. So it's primarily vertical before it's horizontal. Um, a, a very important doctrine for your own Identity, liberty, freedom, um, prosperity, growth, maturity, development, and also witness. You are not going to do well in Christ if you do not understand and embrace and walk in a concept of the forgiveness of sins appropriately. As I have stated and will state again, forgiveness of sins is that functional framework by which God preserves uh, and sustains a vital fellowship with the people of God. You uh, must understand how forgiveness of sins plays a role in God's identity, plays a role in your identity, and plays a role of your in your fellowship with God. Where you and I are ignorant of and negligent of the forgiveness of sins, our walk with God is bad, and our walk with others will be bad also. You cannot have a healthy relationship with any other person where the forgiveness of sins is not understood as a vital, functional framework to preserve 
um, the relationship. If you, so I would encourage you to listen. I've got a couple more messages to preach on it, and it should be on the air for the next couple of weeks. Go deep into it. And if you need to, call and get the outlines or email us and get the outlines. Forgiveness of sins is a radically important doctrine uh, for the people of God. A whole lot of other things, too, that uh, we uh, plan on talking about here on the program today as well. one 367 5329 We are looking forward to your call. I have an article I do want to read before we go to the break to stir your thoughts. And it's certainly along the lines of um, of the whole idea of why uh, forgiveness of sins is a critically important doctrine. This is a um, an article, a blog article by one David Gunner, uh, Gunderson. They call him the Gunner, David Gunderson, and it's coming from the Gospel Coalition. And the title of it is The Most Important Time to Go to Church. So here's our sermon for today for a few moments, and then we're going to take a break, and then I'm going to encourage you to call while we are going to take up our um, other topics as well on this Monday edition of Lifeline. I'm glad you're in church with me today. Glad you're in church. The most important time to go to church. I quote, the most important time to be at church is when you don't feel like it. It's the most important time, David says, to be at church is when you don't feel like it. Uh Uh-oh, that got my attention. How about you? He goes on to say, I quote, I've talked with three Christians about this recently, two struggling with depression, and a third which just went through a tough breakup, who stopped gathering with God's people during a difficult season. Whether for weeks or months, all three have decided to stop going to church. One said it would be unsatisfying that there just isn't a sense of connection. Have you heard that before? I'm a pastor. I hear it frequently from a number of angles. Another said it would be awkward because they don't want to see their ex. Unfortunately, a lot of that's going on as well today. Breakups in marriages, covenant marriages, and folks are often still staying in the same church. The last said it would be unhelpful because they have no desire to be there anymore. Apathy for that particular fellowship. I'm not here to minimize their burdens or condemn them for feeling the way they do, says David. I'm not writing to them or about them. I'm just writing to every Christian who feels the way they're feeling, who feels as if I have before, as I have before, like gathering with God's people will be unsatisfying, unhelpful, or just plain awkward. I'm writing to say something I said to all three of my friends at some point in our conversations. The most important time to be at church is when you don't feel like it. Firstly, it's because of this. Church is far more than a place. Yes, I know the church is a people, not a place. The church is a body, not a building. The church is something Christians are, not just something Christians go are somewhere Christians go. Yes, I also know the church is a family that should meet and study and eat and fellowship and pray and serve throughout the week, not just on Sunday. Did you get that? I know that the church is a family that should meet and study, eat and fellowship and pray and serve throughout the week. He's giving you some ideas and some some real categories of what vital Christianity really looks like when it wants to obey Jesus. Church is not just a Sunday thing. But I also know the church is marked, known, and enlivened by its regular, rhythmic, 
ordered gatherings. It's regular, rhythmic, ordered gatherings. That's Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25. You know what it says, right? Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Um, as you see the day coming, because many are doing that, abandoning the gathering of the formal and structural uh, gathering of the people of God on Sunday. A body that never gathers together is more like a prosthetic warehouse. And a family that never has family dinners or outings or reunions won't be a healthy family, if any family at all, he says. Now, I want you to get this one. This is so very important. Covenants are made for the hard times not the good times. Did you get that? Covenants are made for the hard times, not the good times. Oh, I could expand on this because when I marry couples, one of the things I let them know is you swore an oath to God and God's people and to the witnesses abroad that you would stay together through thick and thin and difficulty and prosperity and, and hard times till death do us part by the grace of God. This is what I, um, Impose upon every couple as we prepare to enter into holy, holy matrimony because marriage is such a solemn covenant in the eyes of God. And so is the gathering of the saints on Sunday. He goes on to say, sure, you could listen to some praise music and, and an online sermon, but there won't be any personalized one-on-one gatherings. There won't be any face-to-face fellowship and there won't be any, listen, bread and wine. But that, see, that doesn't matter to Christians today. Partaking of the Lord's table or baptisms or the witnessing of that kind of thing, that doesn't matter to Christians today. Ladies, and I'm just talking, this is Pastor Jesse. I'm telling you, people are so far from obedience to the scriptures in these regards. Sure, you could read the Bible and pray on your own, but you won't hear. Listen to this. You won't hear the studied voice of your own shepherd teaching and comforting and correcting you. Yes, you could just attend another church for a while because your own has grown unsatisfying. But that's not, listen now, that's not treating your church like much of a covenant community. Hear what he's saying? You know anything about the integrity of commitment? He says covenants are made for the hard times, not the good times. In the good times, we don't need covenants because we can get by and stick together on feelings alone. But covenant communities holds us up when we are faltering, pick us up when we are falling. They encourage us when we're weary and wake us when we are slumbering. They draw us out of ourselves and call us to commitment and responsibility. Now, that's why people don't go to church right there. Church draws you out of yourselves and calls you to commitment and responsibility to others. They invite us back to the garden of Christian community where we grow. Get that next line, the garden of Christian community where we grow. And I would submit to you, I've never seen a professing Christian who has abandoned regular worship and the means by which we grow in grace in the community of the saints ever growing. I've never seen it. The second reason for which you go to church is it's not about you. Listen to this. It's not about you. Now, I get it, he says. The worship team didn't pull their song selection from your Spotify playlist. The pastor didn't have the time and resources to craft a mesmerizing sermon with a team of presidential speechwriters. The membership may not have the perfect combination of older saints to mentor, younger saints to energize you, Mature saints to counsel you, hospitable saints to host you, and outgoing saints to pursue you. Did he get it or what? 
This here is the variety and blessing of a a mature church with older, middle-aged, younger, and new Christians. But I know another thing, he says. If your church believes the Bible and preaches the gospel and practices the ordinances and serves one another, then your church has saints. And those saints are brothers and sisters, your fathers and mothers, your weary fellow pilgrims walking the same wilderness you are away from Egypt, surrounded by pillars of clouds and fire with eyes set on the promised land. Which is to say, this isn't really about you. And those people you wish would pursue you and care for you and reach out to you need you to do the same. A lot of times when people leave church, they get upset or amazed when folks don't call them or reach out to them or we might do it once or twice. But we're not going to be begging you to come back to church. We're not going to act like you are ignorant are unaware that you are making volitional choices not to be in the fellowship. We're not going to do that. We'll pray for you, but after one or two calls, that's it. He goes on to say that the pastor you wish were a better preacher is probably praying this morning that you'd be a better listener. Those people whose spiritual gifts you desperately need also desperately need your spiritual gifts. Those people whose fellowship you find dissatisfying or unhelpful or just plain awkward don't need your criticism, but your gospel partnership. I'm going to stop right there for the break because I'm way overdue, and I'll read the last section when we get back. I've got three lines open, one 888 want to hear from you, my brothers and sisters. If you have been touched by the exhortation, let's talk about it. Got a whole lot more to talk about on this Monday edition of Lifeline. I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. All right, we're back. The Monday edition of Lifeline, reading from an article that fundamentally is calling us to understand that you don't go to church because you feel like it. You go to church out of obedience to Christ and to God and the work of the Spirit of God to be part of a community of which, apart from that community, you really cannot grow. You cannot grow. And so we're down to our third point in um, in David Gunderson's article on um, the, the time you really need to go to church is when you don't want to. He goes on to say, because thirdly, the, the gathering of the people of God in a formal setting is the vital means of grace. At all times and in all places, the gathering of the saints is a means of grace established by God for edifying his people. Christians gather to worship not because it might be helpful if all the stars align or if our leaders plan the service just right or if everyone smiles at us with the perfect degree of sincerity and handles the small talk seamlessly and engages us with just the right depth of conversation, that's neither too personal nor too shallow. You see what he just did? He exposed all of the unbiblical means by which one would argue themselves out of going to church. Essentially, I want to repeat it. What he said is, church is not about you. It's about the whole community. I had quoted earlier from Hebrews chapter 10, 25, uh, but let me actually give you a context and show you something about that exhortation. In Hebrews 25, it says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That's an indicative. That's not an imperative. It comes from a chain of imperatives, but it's an indicative. Don't find yourself doing like so many people do, saying, I'm Christian, but I don't go to church, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another 
Uh, And so much so as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. And we've said it for years. If you're not going to church, you're backsliding. You're in danger of not really being a true believer. Now, let me set the context. When it says, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, here's where it starts. It's at verse 21. And having an high priest over the house of God, watch this, let us, not you, us, draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us, not you, not me, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. What does he mean by profession? God intends that the people of God gather publicly frequently enough for the world to know that there's another kingdom in the world that operates to a higher standard, that we don't just look like the world and act like the world as if we own time and circumstances. Whenever the people of God gather together collectively in small groups of 20, 30, 50, 60, 100 or hundreds or thousands The world is on notice that the people of God are in the world passing through and they are having frequent calls to worship by their God and they obey that call. When the world does not see the Christian go to church, guess what the world sees? A worldly Christian who does not value time or the call to worship any different than the pagan, unsaved, non-called person does. See, God knows what he does and what he's doing around the public gathering of the saints. He knows why he calls us to public gathering. Public gathering is to let the world know there's a day coming when the saints will publicly gather all around the world at the same time, one time, and that's it. The world will never see us again until the judgment. So I'm asking you, are you commonly and frequently gathering together with the saints of God. That's how Paul put it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, we beseech you, brethren, by our gathering together unto the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that matter to you? And I want to encourage you, as the author of this article is encouraging you, the most important time to go to church is when you don't feel like it, because God saved you, not for you, for him, for his glory. Here's the latter part of what he was saying, and then we will um, move to our next thought. Two lines open, by the way, one triple eight three six seven five three two. and I'd be glad to talk to you about pretty much anything. He says now, as he uh, renders his last point, ask for grace and then go. That's for those of you who have uh, dishonored the day and gathering of God's people in your lives. You just dishonored it. Ask for grace, because God has to give you grace to overcome your pride and your shame and your guilt. Um, and your anger, and your hostility, and your rage, and your deception, quite frankly, to go. So I know, he says, you may not feel like it on Sunday morning. You may not feel like it for a while, but I'm asking you to trust God, trust God, ask for grace, and go. Go because the church gathers every Sunday to remember the death of Jesus for our sins and the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And that's precisely what we all need to remember and celebrate regardless of what else is going on in our lives. Go, because the stone trapping you in the cave of depression can be rolled away in a night. And once God does it, no Roman soldier or Jewish priest can stop it. 
Go because you're gathering to anticipate a greater marriage than the one you hoped you would, would happen later this year. Go not because your trials aren't real, but because that tabled bread and wine represent the crucifixion of the worst sins you could have ever committed and the worst realities you have ever experienced. Go, and in your going, grow. Go, and in your going, serve. Go, and in your going, let God pick up the pieces of your heart and stitch together the kind of mosaic that only gets fully crafted when saints stay committed to God's long-term building project, when they speak the truth to one another in love. Now, the most important time to be at church is when you don't feel like it. And here's the reason why. You want to go to church because first and foremost, it's far more than a place you go to. Secondly, it's not about you. Thirdly, the means of grace are there. Fourthly, all you have to do is ask God for grace to do it. The most important time to go to church is when you don't feel like it. So please, brothers and sisters, go. This is David Gunner Gunderson. He serves as lead pastor of Bridgepoint Bible Church in Houston, Texas, and so on and so forth. Great work there by the pastor. Glad you guys were able to listen with me. Going to take another break, and then we will begin to work with your phone calls on the other side of the break. Two uh, lines open, one 888 I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. And we are back the time 538 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Before we go to the phone lines, one line open, one 888 If you want to get in on this series of calls, one 888 if you want to call in and chime in on what we're talking about or bring up a worthy topic to discuss, we, we would be glad to have you. First of all, we give the Warriors prop. They win it again. They win it again, and that's just the way that it is. We are the champions. We are the champions. And uh, uh, what's the application? All believers in Christ are more than conquerors through him that loved us. But, yeah, we're thankful. We really are um, that uh, the Bay Area is really coming off as a supreme um, athletic center around the world, and the Warriors have done it again, and that's that's great as well. I want you to pray for your president. That's what I want you to do. Please pray for your president because it appears that either he has um, – a really bad PR team, public relations team, um, or advisory board, a really bad advisory board um, who don't know how to advise him in terms of uh, when to say things and when not to say things. Um, and he's coming off these days um, very much like a novice and kind of a person who has a mind. In our church, what will happen after service is that several of the kids who are enamored by the microphones will run up to the stage and try to grab a mic and start talking. And uh, when they get on the mic, they are making all sorts of noise that does not necessarily sound good. <laughs> but they're enamored by the mic. And uh, and it's, it's, apparent, it's apparent to me, and it ought to be to you too, that our president has definitely broken protocol with the, uh, the, the fund fundamental decorum of presidents in the past. You know, presidents in the past did not always chime in on everything that was going on in society. Um, When you're a leader, when you're part of the mature group of senators and congressmen, et cetera, you don't have to give your two cents about everything that's going on. 
Uh, we don't want to know everything about your uh, opinions or your viewpoints because, listen, you're the president. Your job is to deal with major building blocks in our nation. You're not to micromanage or micro-opinionate just because you have, uh, you know, different uh, social media means to do it. I know it's appealing and you've got your followers, but it really does come off bad. Like right now in terms of the NFL, a lot of tumult over what we know are legitimate issues in in terms of uh, – our citizenry with African-Americans and people of color, et cetera, with law enforcement and brutality in the law enforcement agency. That is without a doubt a fact. And when uh, uh, Colin Kaepernick basically called our attention to those issues by um, kneeling during the flag, it did get twisted by many people in terms of what he was doing. And President Trump also took it up and really demagogued it with his um, his uh, profanity and uh, talking about kicking NFL players out of the league. But more than that, I mean, when legitimate teams were uh, invited to the White House, he's going to talk about them not being able to come under the assumption and faulty assumption of that, that uh, a number of them did not um, actually uh, pay homage to the Pledge of Allegiance when it wasn't even the case at all. And I'm wondering how would his PR team let him get himself into such a very clear contradiction of uh, a behavior that is just unbecoming of the presidency with all of the staff he has around him to help him at least appear like he knows what he's talking about. I say pray for him because as believers, we have to pray for uh, our leaders even if we don't agree with them, that's always the case. We're not going to always agree with them. That's the nature of politics in America. But you're going to have to pray for him because he just makes, in my opinion, makes very unwise decisions and, and brings them out publicly. And it's not necessary. He should be the kind of president that no one knows everything about him. Like no one needs to know everything about you or me or any of us. They just don't need to know. Uh, when we open our mouths, we should be able to open our mouths, particularly when we weld the kind of power that he does and others. Um, it should be very much prudent and, and done in a fashion that really takes into consideration the whole nation, which he has not done for several occasions now. And it's just it's bothersome to me. And I would want you to pray for him, pray for him because he needs your prayers. He's uh, he's getting himself into a, a corner, if you will. I'm going to be talking to one of my dear sisters at the top of the hour about our upcoming Daughters of Grace uh, meeting this Saturday. And we would love for you to come out. It's going to be a great time. And then next week as well, our There Is Hope football and agility camp coming up. We'll get a chance to talk with Coach on Monday about that. We would want you to be uh, part of that as well. Let me also invite you out to Grace this Sunday if you are a father, grandfather, great-grandfather, uh, and you don't have anywhere to worship. We will be honoring our fathers this Sunday with a powerful message uh, from the Word of God as well around the nature of our God who is viewed to us as Father. Uh, as well as Son and Holy Spirit, and talk about a particular attribute that constitutes um, a, a glorious characteristic of our God in relationship to fathers. So you want to come out to hear a gospel message around fatherhood. It'll be a real blessing at Grace, so you're welcome to come. Again, one line open, one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Let me go to line number three and talk with Jay in Pleasanton. Jay, are you there? Yes, hi, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. What's your thoughts, comments, or observations, sir? 
Okay. Well, first of all, thank you, sir. I haven't talked to you in years. I used to communicate with you email-wise as well. But anyway, great okay. to talk to you about Okay. Anyway, here's the story. Uh, this is kind of a non-separate of what you've been talking about, but it's actually important. I would love to have your wisdom from the Lord. Okay. Jesus says, it is said, he's the author and finisher of our faith. Also, it's said that he will complete the good work in us. Okay? So we're not left... Uh, incomplete when we die or he takes us or comes back. True. However, it is possible to lose rewards. So I'm confused that if he is if he is the author and finisher of our faith, I know we cannot blame him for our sin, I know we cannot blame him for our sin, right. but if he's the author and finisher, <clears throat> the captain of our faith, as well as he's the one who determines when our foundation is built upon and we're done, and then he takes us however or we're raptured or whatever, how can we lose rewards? It's a, it's a rhetorical question almost, but it's always confused me. In other words, I, and then I'll be quiet, I could go to work for a company and get a job, and I could lose it in a day by being a fool. I could lose it. But I also could go to a company, and I wouldn't become president in the same day because we're defaulted to ruin things instead of improving things. So I know that we're sinful, but and I'll be quiet in about five seconds. Again, he finishes our faith, finishes it, and he, he will complete the, the good work he started in us, complete it. But yet we can still lose rewards. That's what I need help on. Right. So what's going on with you right there? Um, and it's something I talk to uh, saints who are thinking saints a lot about is you have to be able to um, objectively analyze your um, your assumptions inherent in that um, that proposal or that set of propositions. So what you did initially, Jay, will say that um, we actually agree that Christ is the one who is the leader. That's what the word Arthur means. He is the forerunner of our faith, the grounds of it, and he is the finisher, completer of our faith. faith. That's Hebrews chapter 12 that you are quoting that he actually initiated from the standpoint of us being sons of God in him through the new birth. Uh, and then that he is the grounds by which our faith is completed. We are totally saved by grace. We get that Hebrews chapter 12 verses one through three. And then you affirmed it by Philippians one, six, he who has begun a good work and you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. And then you uh, went on to quote um, a passage of scripture that speaks to losing rewards, such as in first Corinthians three, uh, which really, is warning leadership, not so much as the common member in First Corinthians chapter three, that um, that the leadership who is building upon the foundation of the gospel, wood, hay, and stubble, uh, can find himself having uh, lost all of the benefits of that labor. Uh, should he find himself standing before God on the last day by having not dealt with? Uh, the foundation accurately, biblically, and faithfully relative to um, his words. Um, but you can also find other passages such as first uh, Revelation chapter 3 where Christ warns that we are to let no man steal our crown or Colossians chapter 2 which says the same thing. Let no man steal your reward by um, false religion, mystic religion, pagan religion. So it's certainly true and I've taught this recently. We have a series on it in our uh, archive. It is certainly true that believers are called to reward. They're called to reward. And the word reward is in the singular. It's never in the plural. The believers are called to reward. Oh. It's a reward. It's never in the plural. It's always, always in the singular. We've got to be careful of our exegesis and exposition you of bet, the biblical text. Bet. We're called to reward. Reward, however, is the outcome of labors done by the grace of God in our life when we are walking in union with, with Jesus Christ. Without him, we can do nothing. This is where your, your, your concern uh, brings about an 
apparent uh, paradoxical or contradictory uh, conclusion? How is it that Christ is the one starting the work, maintaining the work, and finishing the work, and yet we can lose the reward? Well, it's very important for the believer to get this, especially professing Calvinistic believers or those who say or hold to or adhere to a full grace paradigm in salvation. Those of us who would assert plainly that um, our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, uh, to the glory of God alone, by the scriptures alone. We would affirm that emphatically, but we would not affirm that uh, when once God saves us, we have nothing to do, nor do we participate in the, um, the, the work of God in our life. That would be uh, an utter denial of the whole concept of salvation. It is true in Philippians chapter 2.13 that God is working in us the will and to do of, of his good pleasure. But he is not actually willing for us, nor is he doing for us. That is to say we're sitting on the sidelines and God's the one doing it. Nope. God is working together synergistically with our will and synergistically with our spirit. Once we are born again, it moves from monergism to synergism. We are cooperating with God. He is gracing us. We are the branches. Christ is the vine. The Father is the husband. Now, here's where the point comes in at. To the degree that you and I walk in obedience to Christ by his grace, Jay, to that degree, we can expect reward when we come to glory. To the degree that we are walking in grace with him. Uh, Another aspect, however, is the warnings that a a person can lose their reward. That warning that's given, particularly in Colossians and given in Revelation 2 and 3, is warning us to make our calling and election sure as first Peter, second Peter chapter one puts it, make sure that you have an authentic faith, a vital faith, a real faith, a saving faith, because any other faith than that will not have a reward. And in all likelihood is not true saving faith. So here's how you secure yourself from the embarrassment on that day of either not having the fruits of righteousness and the work of grace manifesting itself in a uh, in a reward that Christ promises all his people by simply making sure you're walking with Christ, making sure that you are united with Christ, making sure that you are um, being earnest with God, making sure that his grace is operating in your life so that you are not surprised by either no reward or no salvation. As we read in Matthew 7, you recall it. They came to him on that day and said, Master, did we not do many good works in your name? Did we not prophesy? Did we not heal? Did we not cast out devils? And Christ will say, but you were not united to me. Yeah, go I, ahead. I never knew you work of iniquity. Yes. Right. So, so follow this before I let you go because I'm overdue. Uh, what the New Testament warns really is around this. It's not so much telling you and I to be um, so enamored with our works as to focus on it as the ultimate objective of our existence but to be enamored by our fellowship with God in union with Christ as to focus on it, to make sure that it's real and vital. Because as Christ said, I am the true vine. You are the branches. Every branch abiding in me will bear fruit. In other words, if I am truly united to Christ, I'll bear fruit. If I am not united to Christ, I'm just all talk and it's going to be bad on that day. But the Bible is clear in Hebrews eleven six, and this is where I'm going to let you go. He that cometh unto God must believe that he is. Amen. And is a rewarder of them 
that diligently seek him. You want to be sure of the crown, be sure of the rewards, all of that metaphorical language, which really is depicting the honor of the saints on that day for suffering for Christ in this day, Jay. I mean, all you have to do is love the gospel and love Christ and love God the Father and submit to the spirit in loving the gospel, and you're going to find Christ working in you, and you're going to find on that day him having honored you for being a believer suffering in this life. Don't worry about the rewards. Don't worry about the crown. Worry about the fellowship with the master and you'll be good to go. Does that make sense? Amen. God bless you. You too. God bless. That was great. That was great. Bless you, man. I'm way overdue. Got to take another break. Two lines open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Two lines open. One triple eight three six seven five three two nine. If you're united to the vine, you're good to go. If you're not, it's all bad. I'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 